the actual visual vernacular of Western tattooing hasn't really changed very much for about 400 years. Because it's on the bodies of people, you know, it's always slightly out of time. You, you get a tattoo at a particular moment in time and it's very hip and trendy at the moment you do it and then you get old and unlike a jacket you can hide at the back of the cupboard until it comes back into style again Mm. you've got to kind of live with it so tattooing is almost always kind of completely contemporary and always almost immediately out of time at the same time which is complicated Hello and welcome to Patented, a podcast all about the history of inventions. I'm your host, Dallas Campbell, and in this episode, I'm going to be talking about tattooing. As ancient as time, as modern as tomorrow. Tattooing is one of those strange, ridiculous and wonderful things that um, human beings do to themselves. And the story of tattooing, I think, is a really, really fascinating look into a heady mix of technology, of art, of social history, of anthropology, all these lovely juicy things. And tattooing, it's a near universal practice that we see across time and place. And a really good example, I suppose, of simultaneous or convergent invention. But why do we do it? When were the first tattoos and how were they done? Why does tattooing reinvent itself continuously across generations and cultures? How is the technology of tattooing, the way we actually do it, how has that changed over time? This episode focuses on very much the Western history of tattooing. And I'm going to be chatting with historian Matt Lodder. Dr. Matt Lodder is a senior lecturer in art history and theory and the director of American studies at the University of Essex. He also has lots of tattoos. Let's get started. Welcome, Matt Lodder from the University of Essex. I've been enjoying stalking you online, actually. I've been, you've got, you've got one of these um, academics who just does fascinating things I didn't even know existed. And now I do know exist. <laughs> Don't stalk me online. I got properly stalked online. Oh, God. I ha- once, yeah. I, this so, is, um... When I was stalking you online, I, I found out <laughs> other people were stalking you online. But like, yeah. like horrifically, what, just briefly explain to our audience before we start, because it's quite a story. Yeah, so I'm a tattoo historian, and the short version is someone decided to copy my tattoos and pretend that my work and other people's work was his. He dressed up as me. He was an American student, basically, and he was stealing my work and other people's work to try and pass his MA. He sort of dressed up as me. He'd got copies of my tattoos on his hands. Plagiarism plus. He actually got tattooed of your tattoos, like meta tattoos. Yeah, he's got really bad copies of my tattoos on his hands. So he still has them? Yeah. Like, did he get caught? That's such an extreme way of plagiarising someone to actually get someone else's tattoos and pretending to be you. We caught him. We did find out who he was and got him kicked out of his programme. And after he got caught, he had had the good grace to disappear. And he last pictures we saw of him online, he'd like ditched the kind of Matt Lodder costume and got really buff. Like he'd got into bodybuilding, which I am not, obviously. (laughs) Do you know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of that. Do you remember that? Alan Partridge episode where Alan Partridge gets hijacked by the superfan and then the superfan takes his shirt off and he's got that massive Alan Partridge tattoo on his chest. That's what that... You know that's based on a real thing that happened? What? So... What's the real thing? Lee and Herring were on tour and they didn't have anywhere to stay so this student was like oh you can stay at ours if you like and they went back to this student's house and their 
rooms were covered in posters of Lee and Herring. And then the twist <laughs> of the tale is it turned out the student that did that, that invited them, was uh, Radio 1 DJ Chris, Christian O'Donnell, or Christian O'Connell, whatever his name is. <laughs> there you go. Hey, look, you're kind of part historian, part art historian, part social anthropologist, part human canvas. You cover a lot of ground, really, really interesting stuff. Years and years ago, I got really, really into tattooing. It was probably sort of late 80s, early 90s, because there was a book that came out and it was a book called Modern Primitives. And I forget who wrote it, but it was all about that sort of well, that kind of modern primitive tribal tattoos and, and body manipulations and all. Ah, you've got it. He's holding it up. And I th- it seems to be that every generation thinks they've discovered tattooing and they've discovered all this stuff for the first time. And it's been, we've been doing this to ourselves forever, it seems. Yeah, that's basically it. I mean, I've written a whole article about modern primitives, so people can look that up, about the influence of that book, because it, it was a kind of a landmark in loads of ways. Yeah, so everybody does think that this is brand new. And like, what I find really interesting, and this is sort of comes back to what you're saying about me being an art historian and all kinds of other things, is that people who come at this topic as psychologists or sociologists, anthropologists, are always kind of looking at like why people would do these weird things to themselves. But actually, the history of it is quite straightforward in that it's sort of always been around and it's always been a bit more diverse than people imagined. And so the question for me recently particularly has become like, not why is tattooing this new thing? You know, tattooing used to be just for sailors and now is for trendy people and hipsters. hipsters. But actually, why has it always been not that, but everyone's still surprised? I've got examples of that cliche going back like every single decade to like at least the 1870s, probably even before that. You know, people going, oh, tattooing is this brand new, no, tattooing is this this thing that everyone's into now. It used to be so cool and hip and now it's watered down and mass market. And the first professional tattoo artists were saying that in the Victorian era, that it got too trendy. That's really interesting. We still like that sort of sense of nostalgia with tattooing, the, the sort of Sailor Jerry kind of tattoos that we sort of put in inverted commas, traditional sailory naval tattoos are kind of back in vogue again. Or maybe they've always been in vogue. There's a good quote this tattoo supply guy called Milton Zeiss used to use back in the 1920s and 30s, which was like as ancient as time, as modern as tomorrow. Tattooing is this, the actual visual vernacular of Western tattooing hasn't really changed very much for about 400 years. Because it's on the bodies of people, you know, it's always slightly out of time. You you get a tattoo at a particular moment in time and it's very hip and trendy at the moment you do it. And then you get old and unlike a jacket, you can hide at the back of the cupboard until it comes back into style again. Mm. You've got to kind of live with it. So tattooing is almost always kind of completely contemporary and always almost immediately out of time at the same time, which is complicated. That is complicated because, first of all, I don't have any tattoos, even though I'm fascinated by tattoos. But I always think that people who get tattooed always think that they're not doing it to be fashionable. They're yeah. always thinking they're being sort of, like, yeah, I'm a bit, yeah, I'm a bit counterculture. I'm a bit sort of wacky. But of course, it's the ultimate of following the fashion. If you look at tattoo trends, like I was saying, those that modern primitive stuff, those, those sort of all black tribal tattoos, that sort of Borneo style, yeah, those sorts of stuff. It was so big in the '90s, and they've just massively dated now. You can totally age people by the the sort of style of tattoo they have on well you know what but they're they're coming back that is the coolest hippest stuff right now is teenagers getting that. oh is, there you go <laughs> there you go yeah the general point and this is kind of where the art history of it comes in tattooing often thought about as but even by those who do it as this kind of yeah separate underground thing but of course like it's just intimately connected to the visual cultures it comes from, right? So if you look at like fashion design in the 90s, it's full of that stuff. It's full of kind of ethnic print. It's full of like black and white graphic stuff. In fact, there's crossover, you know, the tattooers in London who were pioneering that style 
around the corner from where you are in Clockenwell, as it happens, they were like squatting in London with oh yeah on Exmouth yeah Market. and on St John Street, and like those those guys were squatting with fashion designers like Body Map who were doing black and white kind of quote unquote ethnic patterns. So tattooing is just connected to visual culture rather than separate from it, like most people suspect. But let me just ask you, so you say kind of every culture has a sort of form of tattooing. I mean, can we kind of pin it down? Was the a culture or a person or somebody or that we can say they invented the tattoo. People sort of talk about different tribes and New Zealand and places where tattooing is popular. It was or, or did, was was it invented at the same time everywhere? Yeah. So in the nineteen twenties, there was a book published called The History of Tattooing, and the thesis of that book is that there must have been some kind of mm. Prometheus who like stole tattooing from the gods. You know, some kind of original moment of tattooing because the author of that book called William Hambly he was like oh uh this is you know this is so strange and weird and it must have started somewhere and spread around the evidence seems to suggest almost the opposite you know tattooing is really simple you just need something sharp and that varies from culture to culture and moment to moment but you need a kind of sharp thing mm-hmm. and you need some pigment so usually that is like carbon black lamp black soot kind of things from fires or oil lamps or a kind of organic pigment made from some kind of plant and once you've got that in the skin the biology is going to keep it there basically tattooing is a byproduct of the immune system right if you put a pigment particle in the right layer of skin your immune cells will encompass it and keep it there to stop it infecting and spreading in the rest of the body and getting in the wrong place so basically the way a tattoo works is pretty fundamental to the way the human body functions and so even you can imagine you know someone standing by a fire they get a kind of got a cut on their hand and they moving something in the ashes a little bit of ash goes on it heals up that black marks there forever and they think oh mm, interesting that may stay there so we find tattooing pretty much everywhere pretty much always it's not always normative it's not always you know mainstream there are plenty of cultures where tattooing has been taboo ancient greece ancient china for example tattooing was known about everywhere always the one slight exception to that is places in africa where skin tones are darker and cultural traditions there tend towards things like scarification rather than tattooing but again even in those cultural traditions there's often tattoo marks so i like to say you know tattooing is a medium not a phenomenon it gets written about as a phenomenon as if like all instances of ink under the skin are the same everywhere always but actually i think a more interesting and more useful way of looking at it is that it's what the different cultural traditions or individuals or, or subcultural groups whatever do with those technologies rather than the basic sort of fact of the technology themselves you talked about someone sitting by a fire and they got a black mark and it stayed there forever i'm just thinking about the sort of technology of that so i mean can you imagine a situation where it did happen by accident yeah and then how did we get from it happening by accident to someone saying okay well maybe i'll i don't know sharpen a stick or something i mean do we have an archaeological record of like tattoo devices that people use i know that people use kind of sticks and they would sort of hit them with a a kind of hammer and that's in the pacific yeah so the oldest tattoos we have are skin preservation are currently this specimen from the austro-italian alps a specimen that's called Otzi, Otzi the Iceman, who dates back to about five and a half thousand years ago, sort of copper age guy who's got like tally marks tattooed on him. There's some Egyptian, pre-dynastic Egyptian mummies that date from around the same time. And new research is, I think, going to suggest that they're even slightly older. So five and a half thousand years old. The tool record, though, goes back and, and certainly the kind of things like anthropomorphic sculptures go back a lot longer. It's hard to know with needles, for example, whether they are needles for other purposes, whether they're sewing needles, medicinal needles, or whether they're tattoo needles. 
In some places, there's some amazing work being done by um, archaeologists in North America who found out a way, because in North America, Native American tattooing was often done with bone. So bone needles made from like turkey bones. And some archaeologists there have developed this amazing technology where they can look at where pattern microscopically and disambiguate things that were used to sew leather and things that were used to tattoo skin. They found that out by building their own needles and tattooing themselves with them and then examining the micropigmentation and wear patterns under microscopes. In other places, you know, like, so in that Bronze Age, Copper Age guy and a lot of European tattooing, the needles would have been probably even the same needles that were used for leather work and things. So it's quite difficult. You have to kind of contextually argue whether or not they were tattoo tools. And then in places like New Zealand, the Pacific, needles are made from things like shell or bone, again, some of which have survived, some of which haven't. But again, there's lots of interesting archaeology. And the current kind of consensus really is that tattooing is about as old as general symbolic human behavior. So between 45,000 and 100,000 years old. Wow. It's really interesting. I'm just trying to understand. I mean, obviously, the idea of human beings and sort of mark making and art and symbolic art and cave paintings what is it about permanent markings on the skin that is so special as opposed to just i don't know painting someone's skin and and why is it survived so long and why is it so popular well it's hard to know in a way precisely and we're always kind of guessing contextually i mean that otzi guy the prevailing theory for him is that they're some kind of medico magical thing because they're on joints where there's evidence that he's got inflammation and stuff so whether they were kind of meant to be like protective or whether the process itself was thought to be healing we don't know the thesis that i find compelling in general about tattooing is that essentially particularly in kind of pre-settled societies you just if you're trying to signal status you don't have to carry a tattoo around with you right you can't lose it it can't be stolen from you it can't be looted or plundered so it's an identity. It's about I- yeah. identity. Yeah, so you can signal affiliation and status mm-hmm. in a way that can't be easily removed or lost, right? So in the Arctic, for example, where the tattooing is done with needles sewn through the skin rather than poked in, most of the tattooing that's done, not all of it, but most of it is done on the face of women and on the hands, like places that you would see in clothing. In places where it's hotter and where people aren't wearing so many clothing, tattooing happens to be more on the body. So mm. there's this kind of sort of social status indicator stuff, which is really almost just practical. Which is still, I kind of think it's still the case, even though your Clerkenwell hipsters where I live will say, oh, I get tattoos because I don't want to be part of the crowd. But actually, it's the exact opposite. It's showing allegiance to a particular set of values. And- yeah, it's both, you know, right? This- or is that... I'm no, like- you're right, because it's both. It does two things at once, right? So tattooing in the Western context. So in places like New Zealand and, you know, the Arctic and the Pacific, tattooing does serve a very specific social function. It's codified and it has a kind of ritual significance and it is part of a broader social system. In the West and in other places where tattooing has not been normative, it does do both those things at once though, right? You get to be kind of different because it's not part of the mainstream culture, but it also gets to tie you together. So it sort of does both. And that's why you find tattooing in Western contexts in places like the military, in boarding schools, prisons, football teams, places where you're kind of uniform. (laughs) You know, you'll yeah. you'll, you'll look the same. You'll have a kind of common purpose, but you also want to kind of present yourself as different from other people. So that kind of paradox is really perfect, actually, in a way, <laughs> against the kind of mainstream. That's really interesting. Yeah, but it's funny how th- and certain symbols come up in tattooing. Like everyone got Tasmanian devils for a while, and then everyone got yeah. 
I don't know. It's odd. I'm interested in the origins of all these things. Why did everyone get sort of lower back tribal tattoos for a while? And there's these certain things that just, and then they fade away again. I mean, pretty much everywhere, even in places where tattooing is culturally normative, like tattooing is related to broader visual cultures. So you find similar Mm. imagery in sculpture, in handicraft, in drawing, in painting, and on the body, right? And so again, the kind of stand, the basic story is like people get tattooed on their bodies, the images that are around them. So in the 1940s, people are getting Mickey Mouse tattoos, you know, because cool cartoons and portraits of Gary Cooper. In the 19th century, when Japan's really trendy, like everyone's getting Japanese tattoos or they're getting mm. copies of paintings. Lots of the Victorian tattooers that I'm really interested in were tattooing like copies of quite salacious salon pictures, you know, from France. And like Nice. And there's, and there's also this link with clothing. So the, the lower back tattoo in particular, but it's also the reason why currently like hand and neck tattoos are really popular. It's because they're the things you see. As 90s trends revealed the belly button, trousers got lower, yep. things got higher, people were getting tattooed on visible parts of their body. And, you know, the, the, the hand and neck tattoo stuff, we used to call them back in the day, like the MySpace bodysuit, because you could look like you were completely covered in tattoos on your MySpace mm. profile picture if you just had your neck and your hands tattooed, right? Hi there. I'm Kate Lister, sex historian and author, and I am the host of Betwixt the Sheets, The History of Sex, Scandal in Society, a new podcast from History Hit. Join me as I root around the topics which have been skipped over in your school history lessons. Everything from the history of swearing to pubic hair, satanic panic, cults, there is nothing off limits. We'll be bed hopping around different time periods, from ancient civilizations to the Middle Ages to Renaissance and early modern, right up to now. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Um, actually, I keep forgetting. Patented. This is a show about yeah. technology and inventions. <laughs> let's take it back. Let's talk about tattooing in Britain, particularly. I'm, I'm sort of interested in when it first started becoming popular here, and also the technology. The difference between just having a stick and using some ash from a fire, and actually the tattoo gun that vibrates and has needles. And did that have an inventor? When was the first tattoo parlor in Britain? When did it become a, a thing that yeah. people? God, can you talk us through that? Yes, sort of. So the tattooing like before the late 19th century was pretty much a kind of intimate practice, right? Like if you wanted to get tattooed, you'd have to, it would be done between mates. So you'd be doing it aboard ship using the needles you'd use to darn your socks kind of thing. 
there are tattoo parlors or tattoo studios, I guess, as we call them now in places like Jerusalem, who are working on Western customers, like right back to the 16th century, late 1500s, early 1600s. But you know, everything pretty much changes in Europe and in America after the opening up of Japan in 1858. So Japan is closed off to the West for a couple of hundred years. The Americans turn up with gunboats, say, hey, Japan, trade with us or we're going to invade. That kind of sparks this whole interest in the West, in Japanese everything, you know, textiles and art and clothing and everything else, furniture. But tattooing's part of that, right? And so all of a sudden, tattooing kind of enters mainstream modern consumer culture in the Victorian period, right? So the first pro-tattooer in America is a guy called Martin Hildebrandt working in New York, 1859. That's initially part-time, so he's working like out of a saloon by the port in uh, in New York. By the 1870s... Like a bar. Yeah, he's sort of tattooing out of a bar. But but listed in the street directory then as a tattooer. But he's he, he sort of goes full-time after the Civil War, so early 1870s. That moment really is when modern tattooing begins. So that means all of a sudden this demand is increasing and like it's also at the same time as it's this huge boom in inventions and new technology during the late 19th century. So basically like mm. starting towards the end of the 1870s, early 1880s, tattooers in America are looking for ways to make work quicker and they start rather than inventing stuff from whole cloth, adapting new technologies for their own purposes. So the first tattoo machines are basically kind of adaptations of new technologies. So they are adapted from dental pluggers. So the first like electric handheld device patented in the US was a device for filling holes in teeth. And that was very quickly taken up by tattooer, tattooers. Because really all you need for a tattoo machine is a needle that goes back up and down, right? Like a, almost like a kind of sewing machine needle goes up and down, up and down, yeah. up and down. Just explain what the dental apparatus was. So how is that a needle? Just how do we get from that to a tattoo machine? It looks like a tattoo machine. Mm. <laughs> Basically, it's an electromagnet with alternating current that makes the needle go up and down. And the idea was that it would be used to kind of drill or fill holes in teeth. Got it. But all you need for tattooing is a device that makes the needle go up and down really quickly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so this is that was really perfect. So that was adapted very quickly. There was an adaptation of doorbells for the same thing, because the doorbell is also that electromagnet that makes an armature bar go up and down. And then the, the third thing, and this was the first one that was actually granted a patent in Britain, was an adaptation of Thomas Edison's basically copying pen. So he made a device, not on an electromagnet, but on a rotary arm, which made a needle go up and down to pierce holes in a piece of like template paper that you could then you'd write out a document and then you'd put over a piece of paper you'd use this needle to create a kind of perforated copy and then you could roll ink over and like create a copy so it's like a kind of early photocopying technology but again it's just a device that makes the needle go up and down i love how all inventions at the end comes down to at some point to thomas edison <laughs> so what thomas edison did it so we can in a yeah. way we can sort of thank thomas edison but for the for modern tattooing and doorbell makers. Yeah, but there were huge fights in, in the US and in, in the UK about these patents, people claiming to have invented them first. The first patent in the US was a guy called Samuel Riley, mm -hmm. Samuel O'Reilly, working in New York. And the first patent in the UK was a guy called Sutherland McDonald. But both of those guys, you know, they claimed very proudly to have invented it, but both of them had people 
competitors bad-mouthing them and saying that someone else invented them. This is this and every other invention ever seems to have that state. But, oh, but I'm really happy that there was a kind of inventors of the tattoo machine. Actually, they do exist. There is a people who at least claim it. Yeah, and and... I've told this story a lot, but so if anyone's ever heard me talk before, they will have heard me tell this story. But my great grandma was tattooed and she was tattooed around about 1900 because her brother came home one day with a tattoo machine and said, hey, little sister, can I tattoo you? And she said, will it come off? And he said, yes. Right. So she had her initials tattooed in her arm. Part of me has always wondered, you know, where did my great uncle as a sort of teenage boy in London in the late 19th, early 20th century get a tattoo machine from? I discovered essentially that you could buy tattoo machines over the counter in uh, department stores in London for a few years. And it's really interesting in the context of this where they're categorized in the catalogue because they're alongside initially electrical novelties. So alongside little light up (laughs) buttons and things. And And then as they get more mature technologically, they end up categorized alongside telephones and telegraph machines. Oh, that's really interesting. Oh, my goodness. Because so Sutherland MacDonald, the first guy in Britain to patent tattoo machine, he was a telegraph operator in the Anglo-Zulu War. So he was a guy who worked machines that made things go up and down quickly, right? Which is basically what a telegraph machine is too. He found himself kind of in the right place at the right time. He'd grown up in a Turkish bath. He was clearly pretty good at drawing. His first job out of the army was as a shropodist, and I imagine that was pretty horrible, working on army bases, dealing with horrible feet. So he was kind of like artistically and technologically in the right place at the right time to transform the industry. Wonderful. Hey, I'm conscious of time. I've got a couple of other questions I really want to ask you. Why is it that so we introduced tattooing in the West Victorian times. Where did the tattooing develop its bad reputation? Yeah. I mean, you think about tattooing, you know, there are associations with prisons, things like the Holocaust as well, tattooing, you know, numbers on people. Did this all feed into tattooing having a, a sort of slightly tarnished reputation? Yeah. So, so tattooing's always been in the West something non-mainstream. So, you know, it's never been kind of totally celebrated it's always been thought of as slightly strange and lots of the kind of writing about it and lots of the recording of it is because it's looked at slightly oddly but it didn't kind of get the kind of reputation i think that we understand it to have now until really post-world war ii in britain and a lot of that is to do with exactly as you said that what happens with the concentration camp tattooing and holocaust tattooing tattooing obviously gets very very stigmatized at that moment in time there's also a general question of like changing trends. So the 1920s and before are very into like chintzy, you know, we know about Art Deco and Art Nouveau, like very kind of decorative. And then like modernism happens in fashion and design and like sleek and untarnished and smooth. And so tattooing doesn't really fit that aesthetic in the 1950s and 60s. So there's that kind of fashionable thing. But the other thing as well is, is visibility. So if during the war, lots and lots of people were tattooed of all social classes and, and genders. But the tattooing that's visible after the war is mainly on people whose bodies are visible in public life. So if your king was tattooed, and at least two kings of Britain have been tattooed, Edward Seventh and George V, um, if your bank manager was tattooed, you'd never really see it because people weren't rolling their sleeves up at work, people weren't wearing short skirts. But if you were digging the road guess what? Your tattoos are visible. So this kind of like cultural stigma kicks in. In Europe, and this is also partly where it comes from in Britain, but it doesn't kick in until later. It's also very linked in with scientific racism and the early criminology that comes in with that. Because really up until 
the kind of 18th, you know, early 19th century, tattooing was understood as something that connected us together as human beings. So early antiquarian writers were like, oh, even if they weren't kind of, you know, even if they had a kind of evolutionary taxonomy of tattooing, they would have thought like, oh, well, these people in the Americas we've discovered, they're just like us. But because your ancestors were tattooed too, there was this understanding that the ancient Britons were tattooed, even though they probably weren't. By the 19th century, with colonialism and certainly as like scientific racism develops, tattooing becomes a way to signify otherness, to distinguish kind of good Western culture from primitive, quote unquote, non-Western culture. And there's also this idea that develops, of course, that you can kind of tell on someone's body is the content of their character. And so criminologists in Europe, in France, in Italy, people like Lacassagna and Lombroso and Havelock Ellis in the UK as well, start to kind of say, well, because tattooing is this primitive thing that only quote-unquote primitive races do, then the reason that criminals get tattooed is because they're more primitive and therefore we can kind of read your bad character and your activism on your body. That doesn't kick in in Britain until much later, partly because the king's tattooed. <laughs> uh, so... <laughs> oh, I love all these different, these conflicting ideas and conflicting narratives yeah. all kind of colliding. But they, but they, they, they sort of explain that by going, oh, yeah. well, aristocrats are degenerate. You know, that's the kind of theorising of that. But yeah, but by the 1950s, those <laughs> yeah. cultural ideas about tattooing and, and difference have kind of sufficiently suffused into the cultural imagination. They're even here, you know? Yes. It's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I you know, growing up, I've watched, you know, when I was young, it was a very much a class thing, tattooing. It was very much a working class thing in the 1970s. And now, of course, it's become a very sort of middle class thing. And it's been interesting kind of watching how all that evolves. The other thing I've been interested the other sort of evolution is the sort of technology itself i'm absolutely just bewildered yeah. at the skill of tattoo artists you know particularly things like tattoo artists who do portraiture absolutely phenomenal the artists that have got better or is it the technology that's got better to allow them to do it and part two of this question is how on earth do you practice yeah so actually it's a mix of both those things in some respects tattooing technology hasn't changed really at all since those 19th century inventions so modern tattoo machines are pretty much identical to those ones that were invented in the 19th century. There's two kind of types, the rotary machine, which is the ones that are like that Edison thing, and then the standard machine, which is on the electromagnet. They pretty much haven't changed. But what has changed, for example, is consistency of things like voltage. So tattooing, if we remember like you know what our granddad's tattoos look like, for example, the green smeariness that's kind of associated. That's not an inherent fact of tattooing. Mm. It's to do with how deep or shallow you go in the skin. Because only one particular layer, the, the um, dermal layer between the epidermis and the subdermis, holds tattoo ink properly. So if you go too deep or too shallow, the ink will disperse into your lymphatic system or spread around more quickly. So you get that blurring. If you hit the right layer consistently every time, the tattoo will stay there pretty much forever with a very a little bit of spread, but not very much. And so the improvements in technology are things like improved batteries, improved power supplies. Clean needles is really important and new needles every time. Before the HIV crisis of the 1980s, tattooers used to reuse needles. There was a great British Medical Journal article from a tattooer. They found a tattooer spreading syphilis because he was licking his needles between clients to clean them off. Crikey. And and I met, and an old oh, a, a, an old timer once told me that in the sixties he's like if you got tattooed in the sixties you'd want to go at the beginning of the month because that was when the the tattooers changed their needles right 
So by the end of the oh month, you'd be God. getting tattooed with a yeah. bird blunt go. needle. So the other thing that's improved is ink technology. So even then, the Victorians were invented new inks before the 19th century. We didn't really have any, nowhere in the world had any colours of tattooing other than red and black. I mean, you'd have carbon blacks and then you'd have like red inks made from cinnabar, like mercury. <laughs> Very bad for you. But these Victorians were developing, you know, <laughs> new pigments and experimenting on themselves to see the kind of things that would stay in the skin. Modern technologies, modern inks are obviously much more safe. They're much more biocompatible, although there's some stuff happening at the moment with legislation in the European Union on that. And and yes, the skill has improved too. So more and more tattooers have go to art school now. I mean, tattooers have been going to art school since the 1970s. Even those Victorian guys had some kind of informal artistic training, often the good ones. But more and more tattooers are going to art school. So it's this combination of things. There have been people trying to invent new technologies in tattooing. So there's now a, some of those portrait artists use machines, tattoo machines that are pneumatic, so powered by air rather than by mechanical power. The old stuff works pretty well. And even those electric technologies are pretty much the same as in many respects as those tattooing that would have been happening around a fire, you know, 5,000 years ago. It's just a sharp thing and some ink and suspension. Yeah. There you go. Just a sharp thing. I love that. I love the simplicity of it. And, and I love the fact that it says so much about us as humans. We're out of time now. <laughs> I could go on and on and on. And I just want to say a huge thank you, because basically you've just condensed your entire PhD blah, and you've done it in, in a very short amount of time. You've done it Thanks. very beautifully. And, and I, I want to say thank you for that. Very quickly, favourite tattoo artist, if someone's going to go and get a tattoo, who should they go and see? Give us one. Right now, I mean, right now, my favorite tattoo artist in the world right now is a guy called Gakin, who works in, um, he's a Japanese guy who works in Amsterdam. Uh, you can find him on Instagram. He does this really incredible combination of like traditional tattooing, Japanese tattooing and black work that's full body scale. And it's incredible. It's very attuned to tradition, but just incredibly, incredibly good work. There you go. Um, I love him. But there's so many good tattooers now. Uh, don't forget to Google terrible tattoos at some point dear listeners because that's always good for a laugh I always, I always looking like looking i like looking at great tattoos tim hendrix is someone i always like i like yeah. his work but i also like looking at really amazing terrible tattoos as well that's really fun tell us about your book briefly and tell us about where people can hear you and listen to you my book's coming out in september it's called painted people a history of the world in 21 tattoos and it's not a history of tattooing, but it's a history through tattooing. So it's a kind of a way to think about how we can use tattooing to understand other things that are happening in the world. So there's chapters which deal with the Cold War and there's chapters that deal with New York in the 1910s and ancient China and colonialism in the Arctic and all kinds of things. So hopefully people find this interesting. You can find me on Twitter ranting and all kinds of other Great. things. Great. We'll, we'll <laughs> look forward to hearing you ready. Matt, an absolute pleasure. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for sharing some of your stories. It's been, it's been a real treat. Thank you so much. That's it for this episode. Hope you enjoyed our chat all about tattooing. Hope that's inspired you maybe to um, go and get yourself inked. <laughs> anyway, hope you enjoyed the show. Don't forget to hit subscribe to the podcasts if you're enjoying it. Don't forget to listen to all of our other episodes too. And if you've got a story, an origin story, a, an invention story you'd like me to cover, perhaps it's something you know about or perhaps it's something you don't know about and you'd like me to investigate, then get in touch. Reach out to me on Twitter or stop me in the street, whatever, and we'll stick it on our list. 
Next episode, I'm very excited because we're going to be talking about my favourite invention. It's the origins of coffee. And I'm going to be talking to Jonathan Morris about that. So if you are like me and are chemically addicted to coffee in the morning, don't forget to join me. While I still have you, very briefly, if you fancy getting all of the History Hit podcast archive and new episodes ad-free, along with hundreds of history documentaries to watch, download our app across Apple App Store, Google Play and smart TV platforms. Follow the link in the show notes or go to historyhit.com slash subscribe. There is thousands of hours of history on there, including a documentary on science in the Middle Ages with Seb Falk, and also one with me talking about the secret history of the space race. As a patented listener, you get a special gift if you use the code patented at the checkout. You get 50% off your first three months. That's patented for 50% off your first three months. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free podcast episodes within the Apple app.